Well, shalom, that means God's peace to you, where I come from. My name is Nathaniel, or Nathaniel, as you might say it, or Nathan, Nathan, gift, gift of God. It's a great pleasure to be here today. I'm going to share a passage with you that uh, I remember well. In fact, uh, you may not see the name Nathan in the passage, but I'm actually in the passage. Check this out, verse 32. It reads, and they were on the road. That's Jesus and the 12 disciples. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and here it is. Don't, don't blink, because here I come. And those who followed were afraid. Did you see me? Right there, those who followed. I was in the crowd that day. I was afraid because I, I was actually new to the group. I kind of caught up with them previously as Jesus was talking with this rich young man. And he, he started talking about things in ways I had never heard. It was, he was turning everything upside down, this, the, the kingdom of God and, and how one gets into the kingdom of God. I had never heard anybody talk like this. He actually said that the, the, those who are in last place are going to be in first place. And those who are in first place are going to be in last place. And, and then he looked at the rich young ruler and he, he told them to leave everything and follow me. But the rich man went away and Jesus then told his disciples that it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. And I thought, difficult for a rich man? The rich are clearly those who have God's blessing upon them. How in the world could it be hard for him to get into heaven? And then... Then he told the disciples who had left everything, you know, that they would have a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come eternal life and even persecutions here. But the disciples realizing that they are actually on the, in the inn of, of God's kingdom and the rich who appear to be blessed are on the out. And it was just sort of amazing, especially for me from where I come from that I, I might be able to be in the kingdom of God and the blessed while the rich are cast out because they won't leave everything and follow Jesus. It was all a thrill. It was, it was amazing. It was terrifying because there was also this talk about Jesus now going to Jerusalem. And that's what he talked about on this walk as he walks in front of all of us. He pulled the 12 aside and once again he told them what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And he said to them, you see, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him. They will kill him. Three days later, he will rise. It was, it was a vivid picture. Because up, in, up until this point, Jesus had talked about Jerusalem and being uh, crucified there and suffering there, but he, he hadn't told who was going to be involved. Here, that day, he told us 
that the chief priests, the, the, the leaders of my people, they were going to be the ones that delivered Jesus over to the Gentiles to be killed. It was very sobering. I don't know if you've ever had this kind of situation where you're kind of in a room and, and somebody says something and all of a sudden it just goes silent because you realize the gravity of what was just said. I mean, think of one of your loved ones told you they just bought a one-way ticket somewhere because they're not coming back. They know that they're not coming back because they're about to die. It's very sobering. But, you know, the, the, the silence actually didn't last that long because my, my buddies, James and John, they, they had a request that they wanted to make. And these, these guys, James and John, they're, they're fun to think about, especially when they're younger. You know, this is many years ago now. James and John, though, he, he, these guys were brothers, and they were... They were the sons of Zebedee, and Zebedee owned a, a nice boat. They had employees, and you know, and these guys, uh, you might say, in our culture, we would say that they have short noses. Uh, I think you guys might say they have short fuses. Uh, you know, in, in, in the book of Jonah, uh, God is described as having a long nose. If you've ever heard of that, God has a long nose. See, in, in, we talk about noses, like when someone's angry and frustrated, you 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 know how your nose gets a little red, kind of blush, you know? And if, if someone has a long nose, it means it takes them a long time to get angry. So they're very patient. Well, James and John, it was, it was a real short nose. <laughs> Instantly, they could be angry. One time, one time Jesus uh, and the disciples were walking through the Samaritan culture and going into villages, and they, Jesus sent them ahead to go talk to a Samaritan village and ask for arrangements to be made for the teacher to come in. And the Samaritans said, no, we want nothing to do with them. They wouldn't make arrangements. And instantly when James and John heard this, you might remember what they said. They ran up to Jesus and said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on those fools? Little macho man Randy Savage stuff going on. This is, this is who James and John were. That's why Jesus actually gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder. That's who James and John were. They thought pretty highly of themselves. They knew important people because their dad owned a nice boat and they had employees. So they thought they were pretty great and they came to Jesus this day with a request. And, you know... Actually, who, who I used to love listening tell this story was John himself when he was older. John, John would like to tell this. He would, he would gather the people up, and, and it would just come this smile on his face as he thought of himself back in those days. And he would, he would gather the people, and he'd say, let, let me tell you all a story of the day Jesus was telling us, for the third time, mind you, that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified. He spoke with such clarity, such determination of where he's headed to lay down his life. And uh, me, and my, me and my brother, well, we're 
little full of ourselves. And it was as if we had earplugs in our ears and couldn't hear a word Jesus was saying because we, we came up to him and we said, Jesus, teacher, we, we want you to do whatever it is that we ask of you. Uh, I know it was foolish. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is, uh, before you look too much at me, uh, we all do the same thing, do we not? We, we want to demand Jesus to, to, to orchestrate the world the way we wanted to, right? That's why you actually get grumpy sometimes, isn't it? Or you grumble? Because Jesus isn't making the world the way you want it. And so we come to Jesus and say, we want you to do anything we ask of you. And if you don't, well, we're going to be upset at you. See, I wish I could say that that John was gone, but this John still lurks around. And, you know, the thing is, it's good for us to, to think about us like that and see how sinful we are, how self-centered, how self-righteous, self-concerned. That's good. But what we don't want to miss as we think about this is just how patient our Lord was. You read a passage like this and hear a story of, like, Jesus could have kicked us all to the curb hundreds of times. But the Lord, so gentle, so serving, comes close. Beloved, if you are his, he is like that with you. Gentle, serving. He, he looked at us when we asked us that, when we asked him that, and he's, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And we started digging the hole a little bit deeper. We said, well, we want you to grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left hand in your glory. Yeah? And, you know, the right and the left, are, those are the positions of power. That, that would indicate that we are, we're no longer nobodies. And in the, in, in, in the kingdom, in glory, we will have a place of power and demonstrate to everyone that we are great. And you know what the worst part about that request was, that, that as I think back about it? John, John uh, or James and I, we actually, we actually believed that we deserved these seats. You see, we had... We had done some ministry. We had cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We had done some miracles. Like, we had done some stuff. And we were two of the 12 people in all of the world that Jesus had called to himself. And we were two of the three out of those 12 who got to go into some very privileged places. We, we were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. We were there at the transfiguration so if Jesus is going to have someone sitting at his right hand and his left, who do you think it would be? Well, it only takes a couple successes in life before you start thinking you're pretty hot stuff. I'm guessing I'm not alone in, that, in this room. Well, you know, that's the way it goes because we are selfish we're arrogant. And what's worse than what James and uh, I did is 
when we live like that, we actually don't know it, when we, when we can't see it, when we don't see how self-centered we are, how self-serving we are, that's actually more dangerous than what we did. So what about you? Do you know where you pursue to be great in the eyes of people wrongly? We look for it uh, when we walk into rooms and we rank ourselves against other people. That might happen at work, might happen at school, might happen with friends, might happen with athletics. Always comparing and ranking yourself to other people. It might happen when we assume that by accomplishments, that will define that we are important people because I did A, B, and C. I am now important in the world. It might happen because you're given a certain position. It might happen with that, uh, someone was telling me about that Facebook thing that you guys got. You get so many followers or likes on a post and suddenly, ooh, people look at my stuff. You know, it's, it's so dangerous. It, it rears its head so quickly. We try to find greatness in all the wrong places. And sometimes it's not just a position or something, but it's the benefits that come along with being great, you know? It's like safety and comfort, applause from people, reputation, people wanting your presence. It, being great in the eyes of the world feels really, really good. And so we chased it, and we still wrongly chase it today. And Jesus, uh, when, when we asked this, he, he looked at us and said, you, you, you are unaware of what you're asking. Or, guys, are, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized? Of, of course, the, the cup and the baptism are, are they're, they're metaphors that Jesus is using, referring to the death that is coming his way, the suffering that he's about to encounter. The, the cup, uh, the Old Testament prophets talked about the cup being drank. It's, it's the wrath of God. And Jesus referring to this, the wrath of God that he's going to drink, and the judgment that he's going to face in the place of sinners and dying, being overwhelmed by death and suffering in baptism. Jesus saying, are, are you able to do that? And, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was uh, what John and James just had a lapse of judgment. I don't know what they were thinking, but they, they've replied, yeah, we're, we're able to do that. <laughs> I mean, who, I don't know what they're thinking. It was probably, it was probably like, more like Peter later, uh, eventually, Peter tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm ready to go and die with you. And then a couple hours later, he's denying Jesus. You know, it's this, they had this great sense of themselves that they could really endure. They were fools. And Jesus then responds to them and says, yeah, the, the cup that I drink, you'll drink. The baptism that I'm baptized with, you will be baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left, that's not mine to grant. That is reserved for those for whom it has been prepared. And of course, Jesus there talking about John and James, they, they would suffer for the gospel. James, you actually can read about his death in Acts chapter 12. He's one of the first to be killed for the gospel. That, that came true. And John, you, you know what happened to him. Old age, he's sent off onto an island because of the gospel in persecution. 
Oh, they drank the cup. But they failed the attempt to get the best seat. Jesus turned them away in that. Now, I, I, don't, I don't recall who overheard the conversation. But I, I remember when word came to the, to the rest of the ten, the other ten disciples, or apostles, and they, it, it came to them that James and John were trying to, to best them, right? Get the, get the better seat than the rest of the apostles. And let me tell you, they were hot when they heard this. Andrew, uh, he would get, when he would be upset, he'd get all fidgety, and you could just see him kind of like just not really be able to sit still. And uh, Philip, he'd get his lip would kind of flare up, and he'd just kind of furrow his brow a little bit as he's talking. And Bartholomew, I mean, you could see smoke coming out of his ear. These guys were upset. They huddled around. You could hear them feisty. What are we going to do with these guys? And they, they run over to James and John, sort of like a football team coming out of the huddle. They're, they're ready to go to town, and they get in James and John's face, and they say, who do you guys think you are? You're going to have better seats than us? Why would you think you're better apostles? You still work with your dad. Maybe that's your mom calling. Go home to her. And by the way, how does it feel that Jesus did turn you away? Why? Because he's probably going to give the seats to us. You're going to be making our lunch, sons of Zebedee, you crazy cats. <laughs> now, this situation really could have gotten out of hand. And so Jesus called them together, and he began to teach them. And he said... You, you know that those who are considered rulers among the Gentiles, they, they, they lord it over the other people. And they're great ones. They, they exercise authority over them. But it shall not be that way with you. Now, now when I heard that, when, when Jesus said not, it won't be that way with you, I, I got excited. Because at first I thought he was saying, your time's come. No more corruption over you. No more, no more being at the bottom of the totem pole anymore. Everything's going to turn. You're going to be at the top. You're going to be the winner. I'm going to go, go in and crush the, the, the leaders of Jerusalem. And I thought, man, this is, this is amazing. I was ready to jump up and down. I was ready to run to Jerusalem and take over the town right there. But then I realized Jesus is taking this a, a, a different way than I thought. When he, when he said it shall not be this way with you, he was talking about the way we the way we think. See, that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, that is how they thought that, that, that true greatness was in being on top of people and ruling over people. And Jesus then flipping it and saying, the world lives for power, for position, for accomplishment. And that, that means you're, you're great. But greatness for you, who are my followers, will be in laying your life down. No longer trying to climb the ladder. It's getting off the ladder altogether and coming to the ground. And laying your life down before other people. That's what true greatness will be. No more being in control. No more looking out for number one. But it's asking, what are the desires of other people? And that I will pursue. And that's when he said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
Boy, I tell you, this was, like I said, new to me. Who talks like this? This is flipping everything I thought on its head. True greatness being to serve. And I tell you what, part of me when I heard this, I felt something come alive in me. I, I felt a sense of relief because I realized I, I can stop the rat race. I, I'm always chasing greatness according to the world, and I know it's always held out here, and I can never actually grab it. I, it never satisfies. I, if, if I even touch it for a moment, it, it's here today, gone tomorrow. I can't keep it because somebody's always better. And so I, there's something in me that I felt, yes, this sounds like freedom. I can actually pursue greatness. I, I want to be great because God made us to, to want to be great and live for him. Fill the earth and subdue it. Do everything to the glory of God. And part of me was relieved. I mean, it might mean that I'm forgotten before men. That I don't, I don't have some great legacy that I'm remembered. Because I've laid my life down. But before the eyes of God, we could be great. Which was great news. Because it, it meant I didn't have to have all the things that indicate greatness that the world looks to. I didn't have to have great looks. I didn't have to have a great education. I didn't have to come from a great family or have great money. I have a great intellect, a great vocabulary. I didn't need any of those things, and yet I could still pursue greatness as I was today by entrusting myself to the Lord and laying down my life in service to others in his name. And I thought, this is glorious. But as much as part of me was relieved and feeling alive, another part of me recoiled. He said, be a servant of all people. And something, I, servant? The servant is one who has a master, and the servant is supposed to do everything the master says. And Jesus said that looking at all the people, those I, the people I like, the people I don't like, the rich, the poor, the strong, the weak, looking at all people and saying, pursue their desires. Lay your desires down. Something I, I didn't like about that because I, I had assumed and pursued that I should look out for myself and Jesus is saying, no longer do that. I want you to deny yourself and lay yourself down. I looked to promote myself. Jesus says, no, I want you to renounce yourself. And I almost ran away. I thought, I, this, this is just too much. A slave to other people? People might start taking advantage of me. And I almost ran. But I, I, it was almost as if Jesus could see that in me and in the others in the crowd because he, he, he went on. And he helped, us, he helped make a connection for us in servanthood that allowed us to move forward. And that's when he said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. You see that verse 45 in the text begins with that word for. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Uh, th that word there is, is introducing 
reasoning or an explanation for what he just said. In other words, you can actually flip it and go the opposite way. You could say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Therefore, you, if you want to be first, must follow suit and serve other people. You see? You see, 45 is the explanation for what he just said. And what Jesus is doing is giving himself as the ultimate example of what true servanthood is, what true greatness is. And that's the logic of what he's trying to get at. And, and as, the, as the days went on, we, we were actually at a Passover meal. This is what we now know as the Last Supper. And Jesus, after he had introduced the meal and, and, and talked about himself being the true Passover, and, and he's going to lay his life down in, 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 uh, for forgiveness of sins for all who trust in him. Uh, something interesting happened at that dinner. Luke talks about this. Do you know what the disciples started talking about again? They argued about who was the greatest among them. Just weeks later, they're still talking about this. And do you want to know what Jesus did in response? He took off his outer cloak got down on his knees, and he washed their stinky, yucky feet. Once again, demonstrating what true greatness actually is. It's laying yourself down on his way to the cross to set them free from their sins. And and the logic of what Jesus is getting at then is, look, if, if the Son of Man, the Holy One, the Eternal One, all-powerful, all-knowing, the faithful one who is good, if he came and laid down his life in service to other people, then the only thing that makes sense is that those who follow him do the exact same thing. It does not make sense for those who follow the one who gave himself to live for themselves. That doesn't make sense. When, When, as we say, when elephants give birth, what do they give birth to? Elephants, right? And what do elephants do? Elephant stuff, right? Elephants don't give birth to snails. They don't give birth to cougars. They give birth to elephants, and the elephant, baby elephant, turns into adult elephant. They do elephant things. And so those who are born of God, what will they do? They won't live as if they were their old self, they will begin to look like the Son. They will begin to serve like Jesus. And that's what Jesus was telling us that day. The Son of Man came, laid down his life, and therefore, you now must do the same. And so you could sum up Jesus' teaching here, that since Jesus gave himself up in service to others, we must give up ourselves in service to others. That means, brothers and sisters, it is God's will for you this week to give yourself up in service to others. You who are husbands here this week, God wants you to go out and pursue greatness. And that will be by giving yourself up in service to your wife. Not according to how you want to serve, not according to what's easy, 
Not according to what's going to score you brownie points, but according to what will serve her, what her desires say. And you, brother, will pursue true greatness before God. Parents here, God wants you to pursue greatness this week in serving your family. Now, the thing with parenting, especially if you have real little ones, is a lot of what you do, diaper, food, nap, clean up, diaper, food, nap, clean up, diaper, food, nap, clean up, never gets thanked, never gets recognized, and you repeat it over and over and over again. But serving with an attitude to serve the Lord, oh, God says that is beautiful. You young people here, your world will teach you that greatness will be in having a certain education, that greatness will be having a certain career or certain possessions. And Jesus says to you today that you can start while you're young. True greatness is found in serving other people. You older folks here, I've heard that your world today teaches that when you're older, you've worked hard. Take the next two decades and just coast. Have an extended vacation. Serve yourself. Live for yourself. You deserve it. You've done it all. This passage, Jesus says, that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is service. Not to live for yourself. You middle-aged folk, you know, your career has grown a little bit. Your family has grown. Schedule is busy. Very tempting at this time to fill your schedule with more me time. And we should ask, is that what the Lord would call us to? God calls us to lay down our lives and serve other people. Now, there's one other thing I need to point out here that's crucial. If we miss it, we're in big trouble. This word ransom here in verse 45 it's, it's very much the way you would use the term in your culture, ransom. It's a payment that's made, right, to rescue someone who's in danger or enslaved, right? So someone's taken captive, and you pay, that, you pay the, the captor money to set the person free. Uh, in, in our passage here, Jesus said he's going to pay a ransom, but not with gold, not, not with house or land, it's going to be with his very own life. He's going to lay down his life. And his life is going to be a ransom to set people free. To set people who would follow him free. Well, free from what? It's set free from the wrath of God to come. From the penalty of sin that we deserve for sinning against Almighty God. And not only the penalty, but being set from the power and the enslavement to sin. This passage here, what's going on here then, is Jesus is not only giving a picture of what true servanthood is, true greatness, but he's actually telling us where the power is to pursue greatness. It's because once we are set free from the power of sin, by the ransom of Jesus, when we're set free from that, we actually have power to pursue servanthood. In other words, you who have been ransomed by Jesus have been served by him so that you can now go serve other people. So you might think of it like this. Uh, if, if you are a, a car, we are cars, automobiles, right? The, the command to go serve, or any command, is like a map. 
It's, it's telling us where to go, right? We want to go to Florida. It tells us how to get there, or GPS, if you use that, right? What we don't have is an engine that works to get us there. We're broken people. You know, you, can, you, you keep turning the key, and it, it almost turns over, but doesn't really go, or starts to turn over and just goes for a little bit and doesn't quite go anywhere. We're broken. We, can't, we don't actually have power to get there. So the commands of God, Jesus' command to serve, it's, it's not meant to be our power in itself. It doesn't have that kind of power. What we need is a new engine. We need an engine transplant. And the ransom that Jesus paid is said to do that. It inaugurated the new covenant whereby those who trust in Christ are given the Holy Spirit in them and the heart of stone is taken out, heart of flesh is put in. So we actually have power. We've had an engine transplant. And so when we read this, when Jesus says that he's come to be the ransom, we should hear Jesus saying, I've come to fix you. I've come to change you. You're not the same people anymore. I put a new engine in you so that when I say you can serve, I'm telling you it's not that just simply you must serve, but now you can serve. You can be set free from yourself. You no longer have to shrink your world down to yourself. And you, beloved, can pursue true greatness because you have been set free, ransomed by the servant king himself. And with that, we turn towards the Lord's Supper where we have these physical elements that we remember, the, the, the very ransom that Jesus paid with his life that actually empowers us to pursue true greatness in laying down our lives for the sake of other people. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, uh, the table's open to you, provided that you are seeking to walk in Jesus in full obedience. doesn't mean you've done everything right or that you're, you're never sinning. It means that you're walking in repentant faith. And that which Jesus commands you to do, you will pursue. If you're here this morning and don't proclaim Jesus as Lord, we ask that you not partake of the Lord's table. Uh, or if you're here this morning and you profess it with your mouth, but don't actually seek to walk in the commands of Jesus, then we ask you not to partake together. But if you're here walking in repentant faith, we invite you to come and partake of the elements. Or grab the elements, we will partake together.